Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Hello and welcome to Witch Bitches Review. I'm the queen and you're the bee and that's the hot buzz, honey. Tyler Carson Evans. And I'm the selfish bitch who left you shorthanded at work because I was too busy being murdered. Siren Rex Neenan. This is the podcast where two actual witches analyze representations of witchcraft in media and pop culture, beginning with our in-depth review of the original Charmed series. Today we're discussing Charmed Season 1, Episode 5. The Dream Sorcerer. So at this point, I would normally talk about the pun behind the title, but this title sucks and it isn't a pun on anything. It's literally just the name of the villain. Um, according to the Charmed fandom site, though, I guess the title is a reference to a song and album called Dream Weaver, released by Gary Wright in 1975. However, I was not even like thought of at that point in time, so I don't know what that is. And I did so much other research for this that I just didn't feel like listening to it. According to IMDb, this episode ranked 7.6 out of 10 and is the one where Prue's sleep is disturbed by strange visions in which she's taunted by a sinister and threatening man who has taken over her subconscious. The episode was written by uh, show creator Constance M. Burge and directed by Nick Mark. This was actually the third episode to be produced, although it was aired fifth um and i found that kind of interesting because this was made before thank you for not morphing for example um but has markedly better quality than that episode and typically what you would see is that as more episodes are made the quality of them you know increases hopefully (laughs) it's a shame that this episode is so gross because the cinematography is beautiful Um, I think the camera work and the set dressings are amazing. But that being said, there is a content warning with this episode. Uh, Some of the themes in the episode deal with lack of consent and violence against women. While no one is sexually assaulted in the episode, the content we're covering today may be triggering for survivors of sexual violence, harassment, and domestic violence. And if that is just not something that you have the spoons to deal with right now, Tyler and I absolutely will not judge you for turning this one off and skipping ahead to the next one. Absolutely. That being said, I do think this episode has a pretty feminist slant, especially considering that it was created in the 90s where everything political had to be kind of danced around to meet, you know, network standards. Mm-hmm. Um I think that when she wrote this, Constance and Burge really said what she wanted to about toxic masculinity. Oh, yeah. But she did it in such a way that she kind of just put it all into this um, semi-supernatural villain, even though she was kind of maybe talking about men in general. You can really tell, and we discussed this before we started recording, you can really tell the episodes that Constance worked on in comparisons to the one that she didn't, especially in this first season. And after she leaves the show... um. And stops working on on Charmed. You can really tell the change in tone and quality that comes along with it. And I think that's just super disappointing. I feel like the show could have been even greater if she had stayed working on it. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Um, And it really does show 
especially in season one, I think, we're, you know, we're presented with um, inexperienced actors, a low budget, and, you know, we didn't have the technological advancements for some of the later fabulous magical effects that appeared on Charmed during season one. And yet still, there are episodes in season one that I find more compelling and just definitely better than a lot of what comes later. And now that I realize when Constance left the show, I think I have to attribute that to her writing. Yeah, she she is incredible and her vision was incredible. And I, even though I love the show and what Charmed was, I do feel like it could have been something equally as great and more compelling later on as well. Let's get into the scene by scene. The episode opens at Quake and Phoebe's getting bombarded by lame pickup lines, but I really love the way that she like brushes them off when the one guy's like, I know an angel when I see one. And she's like, I'm no angel. I'm a witch. I loved that. I actually really love that too. And it's like super cheesy, but awesome. It's so awesome. That's something that I would say, you know, not that. Yeah. Cause you're super cheesy, but awesome. <laughs> not that I have guys coming up to me on a regular basis, feeding me lame pickup lines. But if they were, I would definitely use that. <laughs> she meets up with her sisters and they see a couple making out and I feel that Piper and Phoebe are both just really horny in this episode <laughs> and I am horny for Andy in this episode so I can get behind it wow really I thought that was a joke okay <laughs> no I'm I'm here for it like whatever it is a joke but I'm also serious <laughs> oh okay which is kind of just my life in general. It's a joke, but it's also serious. It sounds like just my sex life, but I'm, <laughs> I'm with you. This is when we get introduced to Sky, the waitress. And she brings Prue a drink and says it was ordered for her by some guy across the room. And Prue sends it back and says that she's seeing someone, which is a valid truth, you know, and a, a perfectly good reason to not accept a drink. However, I would not that this is an excuse for anything. I'm not trying to make an excuse for anything in this episode because this guy's a fucking creep. But like, why send it back to the guy instead of just like rejecting the drink and having it like thrown out, you know? I mean, I don't really know about that, but I just want to talk about the gesture in general, mm -hmm. um, I think non-consensually buying drinks for people is super creepy. It's like one of those things that like men think is like hot and charming, but it is so not. Mm -mm. Have you ever had anyone do that to you? I have not. Okay, so I'm like not even like, you know, good looking or friendly, but it has happened to me <laughs> more than once. <laughs> okay. Um, at gay bars, and it's always, it's always guys who are, like, so, so, so much older than me. Mm. And, I mean, okay, so it hasn't happened in a while, because now I'm an adult and I go to bed at 7 p.m., <laughs> but back when I was in my 20s, and I would go to gay bars, um, it was always, like, guys who were, like, 50 or over who would pay for my drink after I ordered it when I had every intention of paying for it for myself and then they'd have the bartender tell me who it was and then they'd like expect me to talk to them so it's just like very very non-consensual I just I, I always hated it I always hated when people would do that and I was younger then so I felt like I was obligated to like talk to them after they did that 
But it's just, I don't know. It's it's like a very creepy way to like rope someone into being forced to have a conversation with you, typically because you're sexually interested in them. And having had it happen to me in the past, I can tell you it's super uncomfortable. Like, just don't. Just don't do it. Do not non-consensually pay for drinks for people so they feel obligated to talk to you and use that as your gateway to try to fuck them. Like, just don't do it. It sucks. Okay? It sucks. Yeah, especially don't do it by ordering it for them and having it sent to them, because that's especially gross. Yeah, and also don't do it because we're in a fucking pandemic and you need to go home and drink alone. Yeah. God. <laughs> like a normal fucking person. Buy Seriously. A, buy a bottle of wine and be sad by yourself, okay? That, it's 2021. That's what we're doing. God. Sky takes the drink to to the guy who we find out is Whitaker Berman with the message and he's in a wheelchair and that's just a terrible representation of people with disabilities. I really wish that they had not done that for this episode. That is the worst part of this episode for me is the fact that Whitaker is in a wheelchair. Well, spoilers, uh, Whitaker is the creep and he is the bad guy of this episode and he's in a wheelchair and I'm pretty sure that he is the only character in the entire show who appears in a wheelchair. I think so. I think you're right. That's problematic. Yeah, it's not good. It would have been, he would have been just as intimidating and scary if he was an abled person and there was no reason to, to put him in a wheelchair, I don't think. But he uses this opportunity of... Sky just delivering a message to try to get her to go out with him. And she rejects him very awkwardly by saying, I'm not allowed to date the customers. And here's the thing. Don't ever flirt with a service employee while they're working. Don't do it. It's awful. Because again, we're in a situation where you have more power than we do, where we are forced to be polite and acquiescent to you for fear of being written up or punished at work. Mm -hmm. So, like, basically, you are threatening our livelihood with your sexual desire for us. So, don't do it. Okay. Let us continue on to the next scene. Okay. So, anyway, later that night, we see Sky the waitress getting ready for bed. Um, you know, some time passes on her clock, and now she's dreaming, or at least we're kind of clued in that she's dreaming. It becomes very clear in a second. Um, the creepy guy from the restaurant is assaulting her in her bed. Not, like, sexually assaulting her, but he's, like, putting his hand over her mouth. He's looming over her. Um, it's a very horrible scene and a very strange example of how Charmed sort of sugarcoats violence um, it's very brief, which is another th- is another way that I don't think we've talked about, but that's another way that Charm sugarcoats violence by making it very, very brief. Mm. Like it's not on the screen for long, but it leaves an impression for the brief time that it was there. Yeah. So um, the scene of him like covering her mouth in her bed, we don't see that shot for too long, but it definitely leaves a flippant impression. Um. The next thing we know, romantic music is playing, which um, totally adds to the creep factor of what's happening, because, ew. Um, 
we're now pretty sure that Sky is dreaming or they're in a dream because the scene suddenly changes, you know, the way it sometimes does in your dreams where, like, you're trying to get some shit done and then suddenly you're, like, naked at school. Sort of like that. <laughs> um, so they're now they're on top of a building. Um, and the the top of this building, I'm not it's not really clear what like building it is or if it has any significance, but the top of a skyscraper is kind of the dream sorcerer slash Whitaker's lair. Um, we see the environment several times throughout the episode, and whenever you're on the top of the building, we know that they're in a dream. That Whitaker is controlling. This is where I I think that the cinematography is beautiful because the dreamscape like set and the camera work that happens is really good. It really is. I 100% agree with that. It looks beautiful, but it's just disgusting what he does. I mean, it is. there are so many times in my notes when I was watching this episode where I just wrote, fuck this guy. Like, <laughs> he's awful. He's just so... Uh. However, I mean, I agree with that, but he's, for a, a villain, and, and as awful as a villain as he is, he is, it's just, I really enjoyed the way he was written. It's like a sick fascination with his lines. And also the way the actor did it, Um, I think this actor was actually pretty good <laughs> for a season one one-time actor yeah i because he he was very nuanced to me um he had some like really like almost over dramatic lines and he delivered them in such a way that the poetry of the words was still uh really good but not like over the top it was like sinister but yeah. not in a campy way exactly exactly yes that's exactly what i'm trying to say um but also did you notice that how okay so when he's in the dreamscape he is like a completely different person mm-hmm. than he is when he's awake. When he has scenes where he's awake, he is this like monotonous, dead voice sociopath thing going on. And then when he's in the dreams, like it's like very sinister, very dramatic. Yeah. There's a very stark difference between how he presents to other people in the waking world and how he presents to women that he desires. And that, honestly, like is a very uncomfortable parallel to abusers in real life. Oh my god, it so is. They can be a seemingly completely normal person, or even like a boring person, as Whitaker seems to be, and be absolutely unhinged and terrible. The reason that Whitaker is such a compelling and disgusting and horrible and successful villain is because he is a very realistic display of misogyny and toxic masculinity with a supernatural power. Um, He's not totally unrelatable and monstrous like a lot of the other charmed villains. He's a real person you've maybe had to deal with. But Mm -hmm. in this version, he also has superpowers and is a murderer. (laughs) So... He sucks. He does suck. So, now that we've, like, waxed poetic on this fucking asshole. Let's talk about what he does to Sky and the things that he says to her. So, we're in the horrifyingly beautiful dreamscape with Whitaker and Skye. Um, he explains to her that she's dreaming and he can control her dreams. This line he says, I had to pull it out. Actually, I think I pulled a lot of his lines out for our outline. It's your dream, but it's my fantasy. 
Ew, ew, ew. It's just, it's such a gross line. Okay, um, he's circling her and he's pawing at her. There's a lot of non-consensual touching that Whitaker does to both Prue and Skye. And that is just another thing that's so gross about him. Um, he makes Sky dance with him. She's just sort of like limp and helpless and they're dancing. And then he says, Did you know that if you die in your dreams, you die in real life? This is actually a line originally from The Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors, um, which again, the title of that movie also sort of has a connection to the dream sorcerer. Um, And the line was repeatedly used in every film on the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise since the third one. So I think I think it was pretty popular from those series of movies. But I'm what I'm saying is that Charmed like just directly ripped that off. Uh, Then he says, uh, you rejected me and now you've got to pay and throws her off of the building. And then we see Sky screaming and tumbling to her assumed death. And then we have the opening credits. Just one more thing to to uh, really drive home what we're talking about and how realistic and horrible this villain is for this episode. Um, women really do fear that if they reject the sexual advances of a man, he might get violent with them. He might kill them. This is a very real fear that women well, have. It's a very real thing that happens to women as and well. And it's, yes, it's a very real thing that happens. So this thing where she rejected the guy at the bar and then he killed her. That may seem like just some fantasy thing on TV. This actually happens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It happens more frequently than we want to admit. And it happens way more frequently than we talk about. It's just, it's so real. Constance tried to make it palatable by making it supernatural, but it's still a very real thing that happens. And it's something that, really needs to be addressed and combated against. Absolutely. This episode, I think, does a really good job of doing that. Do you know, honestly, I totally hated this episode before we analyzed it for the podcast. I was really not looking forward to doing this one because I just just think of it as like a gross, awful episode with a villain that I hate. Going through it now, though, I really see the vision that Constance had when she wrote it, you know? And I like the episode much more mm-hmm. than I did before. Because like you said, she made a really awful, ugly thing that happens palatable for her Supernatural TV show. But at the same time, she was making a clear statement about what she thinks of men who behave this way and what she thinks should happen to them. Okay. And girl, I'm just going to have to tell you that I agree 100. Presumably the next day, Andy and Daryl are in Skye's apartment examining her corpse. It's been literal hours. Yes. How did they know? She, how did they know she was dead? Every bone in her body is crushed. And the death is suspicious, which is, you know, just sort of... San Francisco PD's thing at this point is suspicious deaths. Um, Andy says they're on the ground floor, but they're very clearly not on the ground floor. I loved that because he was literally standing next to the window (laughs) that shows that they're in the San Francisco skyline when he said they were on the ground floor. Yeah. You're fucking brilliant, Andy. Is (laughs) is that why you're attracted to him in this episode, Tyler? Do you like dumb guys? (laughs) I mean, yes. (laughs) I'm just attracted to like how detective-y he is. I don't know. He's very determined to like take down this fucking guy, which I'm into. He like wants to 
give this sexual predator his comeuppance, and I like that. I don't know. I just, I really like Andy in this episode. I think it's a good episode mm-hmm. for Andy. So while he's investigating this murder, you'd like him to also investigate that bussy? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> um, I would never use that word, but... <laughs> I saw it on the internet today. It's the first time I've ever said it out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, I would like to give Andy some uh, very special detective work. But yeah, seriously, I brought this up in our first episode. The cops in the show have supernatural powers to detect corpses. Like, there's no way. It's been literal hours since Sky died. Okay. We know she lives alone. Uh, Andy himself lists all the reasons. It's impossible for anybody to know that she's dead. She lives alone in a locked apartment with bars on the window. That is 100% not on the ground floor. And the only (laughs) person who should know that she's missing is Piper, who in about 10 minutes will say that she doesn't know why Skye is missing. So, anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, okay, let's so move on. Cut back to the manor, and we have the sisters going through their like morning bullshit. Um, Piper is exercising to a workout video with some very like eighties hair going on in it. Um, Piper says something about giving up because she's never going to look like this girl in the video, who's really not all that special. Um, Prue says this sort of like kind of sexist thing about how the workout video woman has had plastic surgery and that's why she's so attractive. Yeah. It was kind of, I highlighted that comment just because it was so off color for the tone of the rest of the episode. Like it was Mm -hmm. very like, let's hate other women for also being pretty. And first of all, okay. If any of you listening are out there doing that, like stop it, you know, (laughs) like let's just, Let's stop. Let's stop pitting women against women for over, like, vanity. Let's just stop. It's, like, mm-hmm. so 1998. So it's just, it just contrasts very drastically with what Prue has immediately afterward, which is back into the more, like, feminist thing we have going on here. She says, We need to stop thinking about what men want and start thinking about what we want in a man. And uh, f- for anybody who said that the original Charmed was not that feminist, I'm going to need you to just peel back to this line right here. Okay. Anyway, after that, at the police station, uh, it's not very clear the sequence of events, like how they're happening in this episode. It's not clear if they're simultaneous. It's not clear if they're like days after one another. But we go to the police station and Andy and Daryl are discussing how Sky's death makes no fucking sense. How did they find her? It And it they can't make sense of how her bones are broken, which like... Obviously, they can't make sense of it because it's a supernatural death. But Daryl says she looks like a suicide jumper and Andy thinks it's a murder. And they, they're they like, they look at each other at the same time and they're like, murder. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, I'm into the police work in this episode because I'm into Andy in this episode. I'm into his deductive reasoning skills because he's like, she didn't do this and she didn't do that. He's just giving me like, Andy gives real power top energy in this episode and I'm into it. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Okay, so now we're at Quake at work. Piper is waiting tables and serving this picky guy who I just wrote down as picky guy, but later his name is Jack. (laughs) Phoebe shows up because Phoebe has nothing better to do than show up at Quake and not do anything but harass her sister while she's at work. And that sounds exhausting to me, (laughs) but whatever. Uh, Piper makes this flippant comment about how Skye didn't show up for her shift today 
so they're shorthanded, cementing the fact that the only person missing Sky right now is Piper. Right? Okay. Right? How does anybody else know that there's something wrong? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if Sky didn't show up for work, did, like, Piper immediately call Andy and be like, Sky was murdered? <laughs> you know? Maybe. Anyway, it's just, the point is, how did they fucking know she was dead? Like, I don't get it. But whatever, I'm going to move past it. But it doesn't make any sense. And Phoebe's like, well, whatever. I'm sorry that you're, like, doing two things at once. But anyway, let's do a love spell. <laughs> and <laughs> Piper's like, um, isn't that personal gain? Which is soup's annoying and then phoebe's like how is it personal gain if i'm bringing happiness to other people and in my case lots and lots of happiness and by happiness she means vagina (laughs) like see horny this episode is horny I, I I sort of, like, dig Phoebe's energy here, I though, mean, me too. Because she's basically just like, I am doing you a favor by giving you this blessed coochie. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, she is just very confident that her vagina is what literally everyone in San Francisco needs. And a little arrogant. I'm here for it. Maybe that's why the spell turns out like it does. <laughs> Probably. Okay, so this whole thing leads to one of my absolute favorite lines in Charmed, though. Okay, I literally wrote this in my Book of Shadows in my love spell section. I did. Oh. Because I love what Phoebe says here, and it is such a total antonym to everything else they ever say about personal gain, really. Okay, so... Piper says, bringing a man into our life through a spell? Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that a little bit desperate? And then Phoebe says, no. How is asking for what you want desperate? I say it's not. I say it's empowering. I love that ethic for witchcraft. I love that ethic for feminism. I just love it. Work, Phoebe. I, I I think it's one of the most excellent lines in the whole show. And now, of course, it makes sense because Constance wrote it. (laughs) Absolutely. Back at home, Prue walks in on Piper and Phoebe about to do their love spell. Prue is judgmental and Piper's like, oh, come on. This is a harmless opportunity to test our powers. All I want is love. And Prue is like, bitch, no, but they do the spell anyway. And I just like, (laughs) I like how they're talking about like spell ingredients, but I also don't like how they're talking about spell ingredients. Does that make sense? Because Phoebe, when she walks in, she's like, Piper, I was wrong. The spell calls for cayenne pepper, not black pepper, which like cayenne pepper is something that you would use in a love spell to spice up the bedroom. Like I've seen that before in several different things that I've read, but there's no discussion of why. That's a really big thing that I like to get into is if you're like reading something and a spell calls for all these different ingredients and it doesn't give any reasons why they're using those particular ingredients question why like if there's not like a purpose behind it you don't have to do it you have to understand the reasons behind what you're doing for them to be effective i feel yeah it's not just about repetition and imitation it's about expression do you know what i'm questioning here is why the recipe is in one room And the mixing of the recipe is happening in a different room. (laughs) That's a really good fucking question. They're like, okay, Piper, go in the kitchen. No, I'm going to stay out here with the book. And I'm going to shout to you across the house what to do. (laughs) Okay, It's like some kind of team building exercise, I guess. I don't know. Perhaps. Well, I guess Phoebe probably like really studied the spell before because all she does is stay home and read the Book of Shadows. <laughs> right, because she don't need no fucking job. <laughs> she doesn't have a job. Uh, 
I just want to stay home and read my book of shadows. Jesus. So in the attic, Phoebe and Piper have written the qualities they want in men on paper. Uh, They read them aloud and Piper wants a romantic guy with a job and Phoebe wants a dangerous hot guy who recycles. The qualities that they desire here do describe their future partners, actually. Leo and Cole. It's a very on the nose for what happens later. No, it totally is. Um, I definitely wanted us to make a note of that because... I enjoy the actual character continuity here <laughs> because um the, the descriptions for what they want in men do stay pretty constant throughout the series. And as you've mentioned, one of your pet peeves is that some of their personality traits do not stay constant yeah, throughout the series. That's a big thing for me. And I will call them out when they happen. For yeah. sure. Here's something that I don't like. Phoebe says that if men did the spell, even though men can't be witches. Right. <laughs> that whole thing by itself. They would have to put a honey cake in their armpits. This idea that spells have this like gender construct where women do it one way and men do it another way doesn't make any fucking sense. It's fucking weird. <laughs> no, it's totally weird. And also, like, gross. I don't, I mean, I'm not here to judge another witch's practice, but if you are, like, holding baked goods, really just in any crevice of your body for a certain length of time, unless you're, like, getting some kind of kink out of it, like, I just don't, I don't think that's worth it. The whole part was stupid. The gendering yeah. of anything was stupid. Yeah. Um, no kind of spiritual practice, um, I think, inherently or usefully holds like gendered concepts like women have to do it this way and men have to do it that way i don't think that that functionally speaks to any spiritual system i don't think that that is staying true to your spirituality i think that's that's giving space to gender mythology gender expectations inside your spirituality that is allowing the social expectations, the social construction of gender to come into your spirituality and control a piece of it. And I think that sucks. And I guess if it's like working for you in your coven, then do what you do. But the second it's not working, the second it's uncomfortable and unhelpful, we just got to remember that gender is a thing that we made up. And if it's not serving us, we have the power to relinquish it. Mm-hmm. Without putting honey cake in our armpits. Without putting honey cakes in our armpits. Yes. Um, the thing is, it's just like Wicca, especially traditional Wicca, is a very gendered system. Wicca focuses a lot on the duality between things. Not just gendered things, but they like to assign gender to things, which is weird. So weird. It is weird. And I feel like it's why, or part of the reason why a lot of queer people distance themselves from Wicca even though that's a lot of people's starting point because it's the most like accessible knowledge. At least it used to be. That's not necessarily the case now. No, you're absolutely right. That was exactly my experience. Yeah, it's the, that was the only thing that I had ever heard of that had to do with magic. And I knew I wanted to practice magic. So like that's where I started. And the gendered part of it always made me really uncomfortable. And so the fact that it's in here is disappointing. Yeah, I was okay with it for a while because I just really wanted to embrace the concept of goddess. Mm -hmm. But... I think every queer person who has gotten into Wicca has or will eventually, where you just run into a part where Wicca limits your expression of your queer self. And that's the point where we all sort of have outgrown it. Which is not a dig on people that identify with and practice Wicca. No tea, no shade for people who are proudly identifying as Wiccans. I don't have a problem with Wiccans. 
it couldn't be my home anymore. I've been struggling with distancing myself from the term because the constructs are just too limiting and there's not a space for expression. For the fabulous, dynamic, unlimited queerness that we are. Yes! So the spell that they recite to do their love spell goes like this. I conjure thee, I conjure thee, I'm the queen, you're the beast, as I desire, so shall it be. And then the cat meows judgmentally. Now it's time for Misspelled. This is the segment where we examine the validity of the Charmed One's spells and talk about how a real witch might go about accomplishing the same thing. Siren, how do you think the spell stands up? I kind of have to give this spell 50-50. I, I love the part where they like write down and speak aloud the things that they want and then that gets burnt with herbs. I think that's a traditional magical practice. If it's not, it's something I stole from Charmed that I do IRL all the time. <laughs> Yeah, burning paper with words on it in herbs is like, that's, that's pretty, that's my whole, that's my whole practice. Um, <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> no, it's, um, but no, it's definitely something that I do a lot. It's definitely something I love the feel of. Um, the smoke, the smell, the putting your intention out into the world in several ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that part is really great. I agree with you. This is almost exactly how I would do something like this. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is, it's almost exactly how I would do something like this. I mean, the written word, writing stuff on paper and burning it, that's petition magic in a nutshell. That's all you need to know. Other than like fire safety stuff, which I'm really all about as we know. But yeah, this is like a really simple petition spell and it's exactly how i would work something like this i've done this exact thing many a times not necessarily for a love spell but i've done exactly this more than once yeah for sure but you had you did some cool research about the b references though so let's talk about that yeah okay so my problem with the spell was the chant basically um my first criticism would just be that it's not specific and it doesn't really clearly state what they're going for um the only i mean the really real thing is i am the queen you're the bee. That doesn't necessarily say I'm trying to find the one guy. Um, it basically references how the spell actually turns out for them. Yeah. You know? Um, so when you're doing chants, like, I don't think cryptic is best. I think specific is best. But that's just me. You know, I like to write and I like to write precisely and clearly. So like I said, it's just not very specific and I don't care for that. Um, but I also don't really understand just why they included bee symbolism. Bee imagery definitely does have a history in magic. I'm not trying to tell anyone that they can't use whatever imagery makes sense to them. I'm not. But just from a from a like a historical standpoint, I guess the bee symbolism doesn't make sense. Bee imagery is typically used in magic for fertility, abundance, hard work, and sweetening a situation. Um, sweetening a situation, I guess, and fertility is kind of as close as it gets to love. But, you know, they weren't really talking about getting pregnant or, like, Mm -mm. plowing a field other than the field that is, um, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. Now, I did say that the bee imagery didn't really make sense. However, 
This is a line from wikipedia.com about bees in magic. And I thought it went perfectly with this episode. Mm-hmm. So I'm contradicting my own damn self. Okay. So this is a direct quote from wikipedia.com, their article on bees. Bees also symbolize gifts given with a punishment hidden inside them. The bee's honey is sweet, but if you do not approach her with respect, her sting is painful. That makes perfect sense for how their love spell turns out. That may not have been the intention with including the bees, but it works anyway. I don't think it, like, is a suck spell for the episode. I just don't think it's one that, like, could really be copied and put into practice for, like, real people. There are elements of it, like, as we said, the writing and the burning of herbs that we would incorporate. It's almost exactly how I would do this spell, except for all the candles that they have laid everywhere. <laughs> you and your damn candle phobia. I, it's not a phobia. <laughs> I just, I care about fire safety. Smokey the bear really had an impact on me, okay? It's probably why I like bears so much now. The, uh, the one other thing I did like about the spell, though, is that um, they were doing the spell to attract the kind of man that they want, rather than making a specific person fall in love with them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like a super like witchy stereotype like you can just do a love spell and like make someone fall in love with you and granted there are spells out there to do exactly that and people who try to do it and possibly people who are successful but the point is that using love magic to summon a partner an ideal partner like just from out into the world to like meet someone that's really more accurate for how most love spells are i don't want to go off on a tangent about wicca hate again but like the concept of the read is not necessarily that you can't ever do something to defend yourself or protect yourself, but it's not to like intentionally ruin somebody. And and doing a love spell to bend the will of a person would absolutely do that. Taking away somebody's opportunity for choice is non-consensual. You, you can't take away somebody's free will. That, that's not consensual magic and that's a problem. And I feel like people that are like, I hate Wiccans because I want to do curses on people. <laughs> I kind of want that on a (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. They're not understanding, at least the way that I approach the read, is is not that you can never do baneful magic. It's that you can't take away somebody's choices. It's not okay to bend the will of somebody with a love spell. There are a lot of people who think that performing a spell to get a specific person to love you is very ethically wrong. And I I mean, I definitely do see that. We are all about consent here. Mm -hmm. But I do want to go back to an article that I read many years ago that left an impression on me. But unfortunately, I don't remember like the title of it or the author or anything. So I can't give them credit, which is, I guess, just too bad. Um, But basically, their argument was that we do all sorts of things to attempt to attract the person we desire. So how is doing a love spell on them any different? Um, That's kind of a gray area for me. Honestly, I get what they were saying. I also don't like the lack of consent, but I don't know, like where, where is an acceptable line? There are spells that you can do on yourself to make yourself more noticeable or more attractive in a specific way. And that is different than trying to bend the will of a person to love you. Yeah, agreed. I think that concept of, is it any more or less innocent to do a love spell than to try to mold yourself into what somebody wants is kind of outdated. I feel like collect, that's not what people want to do anymore. They want to be interested in someone and want someone to be interested in them for who they are, not what somebody wants them to be. 
And that's the actual, like, healthy way to approach a relationship. Yes. That will, you know, actually have a chance of succeeding. Absolutely. But, you know, we're not all always that mature. Not all the time, no. (laughs) Enough to, like, realize that. And it's not to say that if you've done a love spell on a specific person that you're the most horrible person in the world. But just know that, like, doing anything on another person without consent is not cool. Consent is sexy, y'all. Consent is so sexy. Okay, so the spell happens, and Phoebe runs off when she hears the phone ringing, and Creepy Whitaker has called for Prue, and he shoots his shot again, and Prue's like, how the fuck did you get this number, which is valid. How did he get their phone number? Yeah, ew. Are they they listed? Because... Well, okay, I guess, like... You know, this was back when people actually used, like, phone books. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess it's not, like, um, completely impossible. But, like, from perspective of now, it seems impossible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Can you imagine being in a phone book? <laughs> like, just having your number out there and, like, the whole city gets it in a book? What the fuck? How did people do- How did people live like that? Like, just anybody could call you and you didn't have caller ID and you might answer? This is a nightmare. Whew. I'm spiraling. You are spiraling, but it's... It's all valid. It's disgusting. Phoebe takes off for Quake, ignoring the fact that her sister is being stalked. Like, Piper and Phoebe both get kind of a redemption at the end of this episode, despite their actions, but, like, they're shitty to Prue at first. Yeah, from here, for a minute, this episode does take a turn of Prue's sister is kind of, like, gaslighting her and not taking her seriously about the creepy stalker in her dream. It's kind of, like, victim-blamey. Well, it's it's gross, but like everything else, it's also kind of realistic. Yeah. A lot of women have endured being harassed by a man and having the people in their life shove it under the rug, tell them it's not that big of a deal, tell them they're overreacting, tell them they're imagining things. It sucks to see that face on Piper and Phoebe because we love them, but it is something that... And something that needs to be called out just because you love somebody doesn't mean you can't call out their bad behavior, which is what we're doing right now. Yeah, 100%. And if you actually love someone, when they tell you they're feeling threatened by anyone, be it a man or a man or a man, then please take them seriously. Yeah. Okay? Mm -hmm. Because the only thing that can really make you feel worse when a man or a man or a cis man or a cis white man is making you feel helpless is for your sisters to not fucking believe you and gaslight you. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Cut to Prue is taking a bath and she has a just Tyler unapproved amount of candles. Actually. <laughs> in that bathroom. I'm about to surprise you. I'm okay with the candles in the bathroom because she has water nearby. Because there's water. Yeah. It's not okay. it's not a fire hazard because she's in the bathtub. Okay, so if a candle falls over and lights her freaking hideous ass, like, shag carpet bath mat on fire, is she going to just tip the bathtub over? No, she can, like, scoop up the water in her hands and just throw it out on the fire. Oh, okay. Like, she's a cartoon mouse bailing out a sinking ship. Got it. Yes. Prue is the epitome of everything that happens in Tom and Jerry. 
Uh, <laughs> no, I can't. I can't argue with that. Uh, Very astute. Okay. Okay. So I. Anyway, she's she's taking a bath and she's got like a whole bunch of candles lit. She is living her best life. Okay. Um. She falls asleep in the bathtub again, living her best life. My bathtub is so uncomfortable. I could never fall asleep in there. Just one more instance where I would rather be Prue than me. Um. <laughs> so she falls asleep. And now, motherfucking Creepy Whitaker the Dream Sorcerer is in the bathroom, looming over her while she is naked in the tub. This fucking sucks! It fucking sucks. It does really suck. It's, it super sucks. He's just... The Dream Sorcerer is very much that guy where he's like, everything I know about women I learned from porn, you know? Yeah, and I've learned that women like it when I show up unannounced while they're naked. <sighs> yeah. It's just gross. This whole thing that goes down is gross. It's gross. This shot, though, of him saying, I'm going to love you to death and then rubbing that sponge on her and makes her bleed is cool. The visual of it is cool. It is. The The visuals are very cool. It's it's weird to talk about this stuff because we fucking hate him and we value consent and we think men like him should be, like, sacrificed in a festival to the goddess Artemis. Or whatever. But um, it's just, it is very well done. Mm-hmm. All of it. The whole dreamscape, everything. Yeah. So anyway, he sucks and he's looming over her. Yeah. Um, she says, who are you? And he says, he's the man of her dreams. <gasps> Which, it so fucking sucks. But I swear, he just delivered it really well. It's cheesy and it sucks, but he makes it work. I don't know how, he just does. It's the mark of he a good actor. It work. It's the mark of a good actor. To yeah. Be- I really feel like that actor was underrated because he did wonders with this episode. Yeah, to be able to make something this disgusting work in Mm -hmm. a way that is sinister and scary and then also the visual performance of it to be very compelling is the mark of a good actor. And just kudos to the actor himself, but his character sucks. So to add to the horribleness of the fact that he is invading her dreams and he's stalking her because he wants to kill her for rejecting him, he can also read her mind in the dream. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He starts finishing her sentences for her to let her know that he's inside her head, you know, which is just like a a further violation, Mm -hmm. really. Oh, yeah. So Prue begins repeating, you're not real, you don't exist. And the dream sorcerer, being inside her head, reveals to the audience why she's doing that. He tells her he knows all about her, how her mother told her to say that as a kid when she was having a bad dream. And the chant is not working in this case. So now she can't move. To add insults to injury to bullshit, she's now also paralyzed. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Forgot it's about like, that. It's bad. Like, it's, they just added all these layers of stuff to make her helpless in a way that could pass on television. Like, it's bad when you really analyze it. Like, it's it's terrifying. The episode is terrifying, just quite frankly. And then, like like Tyler said, um, the dream sorcerer, Creepy Whitaker, says, I am going to love you to death. Ew. He rubs a sponge down her back, non-consensual touching, and you hear this scratching, flesh-ripping sound, and she bleeds. She's bleeding as he wipes the sponge away. Yeah. And then he shoves her head underwater like he's going to drown her. Ugh. It's... Oof. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Fuck that guy. Just fuck that yeah. guy. Yeah. 
He fucking sucks. Prue wakes up just in time by Piper knocking on the door and asking if she's okay. And she gets out of the bathtub and sees the scratches on her back. And it's just disturbing. It's gross. Fuck that whole scene. Do you know what else I was just thinking? That we're not aware of it at this time in the series, but Prue's greatest fear is drowning. Oh my god, yeah, it is, isn't it? Like, they don't reference it in this episode, or for another several episodes, but that is her greatest fear. No wonder she's so shaken by him for the rest of the episode. Yeah. Like, because he almost drowned her. That makes a lot of sense. Jesus. The next morning, Prue is telling Piper about her dream, and Prue says the marks on her back are gone now. And Piper totally gaslights Prue, saying that she works too much, and she doesn't sleep enough, and she drinks too much coffee. And then this... Personally offended by that one. Right? I live on coffee. I mean, my body definitely is telling me that I should drink more water, but... I like hot bean juice, okay? There's water in it. True. But the caffeine is a diuretic, so it just kind of cancels itself out. Whatever. Um, and, and then in walks this fucking mask for mask grinder torso. <laughs> But he recycles, so it's fine. Um, he <laughs> Prue is like, excuse me, who are you? And Piper's like, who cares? And I'm like... <laughs> I love that line, though, when Piper says, who cares? And I'm like, listen, I've definitely had more than one strange man that I didn't remember the name of in my house. But... Whoa. Phoebe runs in and starts kissing him and um, announces that they had lots of uh, lots of safe sex. And good for her. Good for her. Good for you, Phoebe. So the so the point that we're, we're left with here is that... Phoebe has found exactly the guy that she described when doing the love spell. And now she's brought him home and boinks the fuck out of him. (laughs) So success. Success. All right. New scene at the police station. Andy presents Daryl with three FBI files of women who died exactly like Sky. Andy thinks it's serial killer. How though? He's deduced. How Well, because he sexily deduced that it was Tyler. Yes. He... He used his very sexy deductive reasoning skills to figure out that it was a serial killer, but I'm confused as to how they would even possibly know that these women have been murdered. In what way? Because there's no... It does... Well, it does seem like he sort of, like, obtained FBI files in a day, you know, from a bureau that he doesn't, like, work for. (laughs) See, Um, he's just a man who knows how to work his resources. I guess... Again, my note here was I'm horny for Andy in this episode. (laughs) That's just all you have to say about Andy. Yes. Well, I need to apparently watch this episode again. Maybe like right before bed. (laughs) Just the Andy scenes, though. Just the Andy scenes. Just the Andy scenes. At Quake, Piper and Phoebe are talking about Hans and how coincidental it is that they met. Uh, Piper waits the table for the picky guy, but this time he's super into her and asks her out. And then Piper runs to the phone and calls Prue while another guy hits on her. And she's freaking out because the spell didn't work exactly how it was supposed to. No, I think she's freaking out because the spell did work exactly how it was supposed to. Oh, yeah. Like, she just she just did a love spell and then a guy hits on her and then she immediately freaks out. <laughs> Which, again, I know, like, Piper is, like, default panic mode. But, like, I don't know. Just that one, it seemed really weird to me. Like, it seems spot on because Piper freaks out about everything. She does freak out about everything. And she's like, this is an emergency. But, like, I don't know. I guess it's sort of funny because, like, she's like, I want romance so bad the second a guy gets romantic with her. She's like, this sucks. Why did I do this? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> 
Relatable. Relatable. Honestly, me every time I re-download Grindr. Do you know, I guess what it's really trying to say here is that, like, the idea of a man is so much better than an actual man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have issues with this just because I don't think the spell would have manifested like that. I mean, I get it for, like, the comedy of the show, but I don't think it would have worked like that. The way the love spell goes in this episode is, like, it's pretty common for whenever a supernatural show does a love spell episode. Oh my god, it's so much in the vein of, like, bewitched, bewildered, and whatever. Exactly. It's exactly like the love spell episode of Buffy. It's exactly like the love spell episode of Buffy. Well, I mean, except that one got, like, a little more off the rails, but, um... Yeah, that one was a little more homicidal. It's pretty much thematically the same. Yeah. Prue's at work and Rex dumps a bunch of work on her. I forget what he said she had to catalog, but Prue just has, like, a degree in stuff as we have determined, so... Yeah. It's fine. she can catalog legit anything. She can do that Ming Dynasty urn and that rookie baseball card, so she can do this, too. Um, and at home, Piper and Phoebe are planning to go on dates. Phoebe's really happy, but Piper is like, I don't know if this worked the way that I wanted it to work. Except it did work the way that she wanted it to work, and she's just not happy. Just ever. Not ever. (laughs) Okay, so in the next scene, we're introduced to a new set. Oh, my God. What? They are at a sleep lab. Oh, my God. The outside of the lab looks so gross, though. It's so bad. Yeah. It's very, like... No, it's pretty bad. It's, like, just CGI windows on a box. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so Andy and Daryl have come to the sleep lab, and they are looking for, of all people, Whitaker. Oh, my God. What? No way. Oh, my God. Weird, because Andy has deduced with his just incredibly attractive detective skills that Whitaker dated the first victim in his randomly obtained FBI file. Work those resources, Andy. Daryl quite reasonably says, Andy, that's not a lot to go on. That doesn't make him the killer. And Andy is like, you want to fucking bet? (laughs) Right? (laughs) What the fuck kind of lab is this, though? It's a sleep lab, but like, what the fuck? What are they doing there? I don't know. Well, okay. So it's sort of like revealed through um, dialogue that Whitaker is doing a research study on sleep through like a grant that he has. Um, a sleep. I mean, sleep labs are actually a thing. I don't know how popular they were at this time. But like people will like go in and do sleep studies to try to like figure out why they like, you know, try to stop breathing and die in the middle of the night and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. My sister used to do that. And now she wears a Darth Vader mask, but she's fine. <laughs> I know that didn't sound like it made sense, but I swear it does. I get it. I get it. sleep apnea. I get it. Yeah. My dad had sleep apnea. Yeah. Whitaker comes out in his wheelchair in... Andy shows him a picture of his dead girlfriend, so that's cool. Love that. <laughs> Love that for you, Whitaker. <laughs> right? And this is that example of this actor doing a really phenomenal job. He is such a sociopath in this scene. It's so weak. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. If you, t- if you took this scene out of context, he would seem like a bad actor, I think, because it's so uncomfortable and awkward to watch. When I watched it, as I was analyzing the episode the first time, I was like, wow, this guy just really took one acting class and just did it. But then watching it again, I was like, wait a second. Th- it's actually kind of good. It's kind of Yeah, like, th- like it's a portrayal of like who he is as a person. This like dead inside, like no empathy. It just, he's, it's just awful. So anyway, so um, Andy, Andy wants to know, you know, where he was when Sky died. 
And Whitaker says that he was asleep in the lab and he's got all these witnesses and evidence. And Daryl is like, Andy, this is dumb. <laughs> and then they leave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Whitaker, like, how does he have a grant for like, he has a grant for like dream walking and killing people? That's what his. <laughs> Well, okay, so his whole, like, story is going to be revealed here in a second. So then I guess we can talk about that. Um, at Quake, Piper is on her date with uh, the guy who's picky about his chicken. His name is Jack, by the way. His name is Jack, but who cares what his name is, really? Because <laughs> we never see him or Hans again. But they do add to the boyfriend tally. <laughs> love 80s porn we do have the boyfriend tally up to four now jack and hans but she she can't turn him off right she's telling him all this fucking gross stuff about herself she's like i get hives in my butt crack and i have an (laughs) ulcer um like it's very it's very much that piper ew (laughs) right like and she like he just keeps hitting on her and she laughs really nervously and she like tries to tell him that he's under a spell, but he won't really fucking let her talk to be honest. So like, that's the thing. And I already said my note about this scene is like the spell I don't think would manifest this way. And it's, it's a lot like that Buffy season two Valentine's Day episode. Okay, so we go back to the lab again, except, you know, Whitaker is not being stalked by Andy and Daryl at this point. <laughs> he's just allowed to go about his business of killing women. Um... So we get um, a little bit more of what's going on with him at this point. Um, Whitaker is the first charmed villain to not, like, be a monster or a demon or a witch or a warlock or something supernatural. He's a human. Now, they don't, um, you know, they kind of gloss over the explanation for how it works. But basically, it's, it's revealed that Whitaker is using a scientific experiment, to enter people's dreams the way that he does. Um, I do think this part is funny. Again, I don't know if this was a joke or what, but um, so there's a drug that he needs to be injected with for him to do the dream leaping thing. He asks to be injected with 30 cc's of androphine. I did, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out if this was a real drug or chemical. It is not. So then I started looking into the etymology. Androphine, what he asks for, it literally means man chemical. (laughs) Shoot me up with my man chemical. (laughs) Basically, I need my man chemical to be a violent fucking caveman. I feel like you just need testosterone for that. Yeah. Basically, that's like what they were saying there. So I almost feel like it was a joke. I feel like it was a sly little insertion that Constance put in there to be like... He's hopped up on toxic masculinity. Yes. Yes, he I is. I really do. I really feel like that's that's what that means. Good for Constance, though. Good for Constance. Yeah. Good for her. Um, so one of his... He's got all these, like, lab technicians, like, around him, too. Like, they're just, like, fussing over things. They're really not doing anything, but they're just, like, there to make it look all scientific, I guess. <laughs> um, but one of them is like, no, that's too much man drug. And Whitaker is like, this is my fucking grant. It's my fucking experiment and i'm a fucking sociopath and when i'm done killing prue i'll kill you too that it didn't exactly go that far but that's like basically what's going on in his like dead emotion voice it is my Um, toxic masculinity and you're not gonna tell me how big my dick is 
Yeah. And so then he's like, set the toxic masculinity to level 12. I mean, the dream inducement system, which I guess is the the, some machine that he's hooked up to. So he's got to like, he's got to get injected with his man chemical and then hooked up to a machine, which has a, a dial of some sort. And that enables him to, um, enter people's dreams. Whitaker's using all this like scientific stuff to go into people's dreams. But if you want to like talk about it mystically or talk about it in a sense that is around magic. And I do. Dreaming is essentially astral projection, um, which is a power that Prue has later that is not really what it actually is, but it's fine. That's totally misnamed. It, it's, but, yeah. it is misnamed. Um, but dreaming is essentially astral projection. There's this concept that when you dream, your consciousness leaves your body. Right. And in the works of Dolores Cannon, who is this world renowned past life regressionist, um, whose works really aligned with my belief system and my spiritual path um, and really confirmed a lot of things for me. So if you're interested to learn more about her, she has a bunch of books, just like search her name. Between Death and Life is my favorite book by her. It really eased a lot of my fears about the afterlife. But anyway, she talks about how when we dream, our spiritual essence would get really bored if it had to just like wait around for our physical bodies to wake up for eight hours. Hmm. Right. Okay. And she, she says that when we dream, our spiritual essence leaves our body and is bound to our body by a silver cord in specifically in relation to dying. The light that you go through that people describe when they die is an energy force that severs the silver cord from your body. Right. And so she talks about dreaming in the sense that your spiritual essence really does leave your body and your body is just a shell for the period of time that your spiritual essence is out of your body and your dreams are actually your consciousness exploring other realms, which I thought was really cool and kind of relevant to this episode because when you think about dream leaping, his consciousness yeah. is going into somebody else's headspace, which is a terrible invasion of privacy, but also kind of lines up with the way that Dolores talks about dreaming because when he dies, his body dies. So his spiritual essence is severed. And it, it kind of fits with how the episode is portrayed. Um, the dialogue suggests that he's just invading Prue's dream. But what we see actually is more like he's taking her to this other realm. Yeah. Like you said, the other realm that is the, dreamscape top of the skyscraper yeah it's almost like he's going in and kidnapping her essence and taking her to another dimension essentially which kind of lines up with what Mm -hmm. dolores talks about i don't know if you've ever heard of her before siren but i have not but it sounded interesting her work is really cool between death and life i would highly recommend that you read that it comes in an audiobook form which is what i listened to and it was a lot more palatable to me Mm -hmm. but it's really really cool it's a great read i would recommend it for anybody that has questions about the afterlife or isn't sure what you believe in read it read it. I am hesitant to nail down a set theory about dreams. I think everything to do with dreams from mythology to etymology has is is really just kind of about the realm of the uncertain. Um in in the tarot, for example, the card that represents dreaming is the moon, which is again uncertainty. Mm-hmm. You know, things that are temporary, things that are changeable. So, I mean, I think that any like good theory psychologically or mystically about dreams um is is worthy of being considered but to like set one down and say that's exactly the right one doesn't seem like something that's possible to do with this theme i think dreams in and of themselves um resist being pinned down and defined i think that's fairly accurate um it's hard to 
deduce one thing because there's no real way to know, honestly. Like, we can get as scientific as we want, and I mean, there are definitely people that approach the world that way, but I think it keeps things interesting to keep your opinions open. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, you know, the, this whole thing, everything you said and everything I said both, I think, contribute to the fear factor of what's going on in the episode. Yeah. Of, like, being attacked and powerless in the world of dreams where everything's already so uncertain. And untethered from your physical form to be able to fight back. I don't know if you've ever tried to punch something in a dream, but it does not fucking work. It does not. But do you know, in my dreams, I tend to have, like, powers. <laughs> um, like, I really do. I'm dead serious. Um, I have to, like, fight shit a lot. But I always am just like this like jacked up magical superhero most of the time. That's what I dream about. At Buckland's, Prue falls asleep at her desk, which is, ugh, and Whitaker shows up. And then we all collectively just groan and kind of shit ourselves a little bit. Like, oh, fuck, we have to deal with this fucking guy again. It's awful to have to deal with this again. She's do- She has to deal with this guy again. And I just feel for her so hard and let's remember because you know tyler and i have gone through a lot of fury between then and now but let's remember that the last time she dealt with this guy nobody believed her that it was happening yeah and now it's happening again yeah she's dealing with this guy again and whitaker takes a jab about her being a workaholic and then starts pushing her towards the edge of the top of his his layer his dreamscape skyscraper and Prue just straight up kicks him in the balls, which is so satisfying. That was satisfying. And she stabs his hand with the letter opener and he gets mad and he's about to push her off the edge of the building, but the phone rings and wakes her up and it's Andy. And this is where I get real horny for Andy because he saved the day without even trying just being a sweet guy. And it makes me want to... He was kind of hot in this scene. It just makes me want to fuck him. (laughs) Like, call me and wake me up from being accosted by a serial killer and I will... 100% 100% ride that D. I will. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't even think you need that much of a reason at this point. I don't. <sighs> you know, I'll just hop on it to hop on it. How handy, though, that Prue had the presence of mind to carry her letter opener with her into the dreamscape. I feel... <laughs> letter openers, I feel like, get you just know. like... How do they all have them so often? I've never owned a letter opener. I don't know. I've literally never owned a letter opener, but I feel like I probably should buy one because they seem really handy in fending off murderers. Also, I just wouldn't rip up my mail anymore because sometimes when I try to open an envelope, I tear shit up. You are a sloppy baby. I'm a sloppy bottom, 100%. (laughs) Yeah, but when Prue wakes up, like Rex walks in and Prue's like, and tries to like stab him Buffy style, like hand up. She's got the the letter opener and she realizes it actually has blood on it, which lends to the fact that this is actually happening. And contrary to what her sisters say, she's not going crazy. The dreamscape can kind of bleed over into the waking world, but it's not permanent. It like fades away as evidenced by the scratches on her back that fade away. And then the traces of blood on the letter opener Mm -hmm. in this scene. I mean, I guess that's sort of like how when you first wake up from a dream, it's pretty clear. And then it kind of fades. Yeah. As you're awake for a while, it's kind of reminiscent of that for me. Yeah, you like lose memory of it. And so that it it bleeds over into the things that are happening with the dream sorcerer. Yeah. Okay, so we're back at the police station. And now we're about to finally get Whitaker's backstory. Okay, Daryl insists that Whitaker cannot be the killer because he's in a wheelchair. Um, Also, he has no motive and he has an alibi. And then Andy says, well, guess what? 
chump, Whitaker is researching dream leaping. Andy says that the first victim, Julie, broke up with Whitaker while he was driving. Because of that, he got into an accident, and that's why he's paralyzed. And the day after the accident that he went back to the lab was the day that Julie died in her sleep with all her bones being crushed. So Andy has deduced, quite sexily, that Whitaker is killing women who reject him. Mm, Yeah, he did. Andy figured it out. I don't know how he figured it out because there's absolutely no fucking way he would know that, but... It's still hot. Yeah, Andy, like, I, I don't know. He's, like, he, he's, like, super into his, like, mystical hunches that, like, literally nobody would ever take seriously, but they're, like, right because it's charmed. Right. But, um, whatever. So here's what sucks about this, okay? I mentioned earlier in the episode that I'm pretty sure Whitaker is the only person in the entire show who we see in a wheelchair. Um, this is a terrible representation of people with physical disabilities. Absolutely terrible. It's a trope, quite frankly. Um... The person loses some ability, typically in a car accident. They are now handicapped in some way, and their bitterness causes them to lash out at other people. And I'm not saying that that kind of thing doesn't happen, because obviously, when you've lost an ability in a traumatic event, yeah, you're not going to be in a great mood. You might lash out at people. But the thing is that... Disabled people of all kinds, um, but we're definitely talking about people in wheelchairs right now, they have so much more to them than that. And this is just a super negative portrayal that I feel like gets shown all the time. Yeah. And and quite honestly, like I don't think we talk enough about the negative portrayals of people with disabilities in the media. We definitely don't. I, I... At all. And let's add to the fact that the actor while we do like him, is playing a disabled character and the actor is not disabled, which is another thing that happens all the time. Yeah, it definitely does. I, as an actor, I have thoughts and feelings about about that, but they don't always line up in the way that they should. Um, Definitely, there is an element of representation where people that are being represented in media should be representing themselves, right? They should be playing that role themselves. Um, it be- I think it's it's more important when they're a marginalized community. Yeah. Because these people, marginalized people, are so much less likely to have opportunities. Yeah. Um, and especially in acting, unfortunately. Um, this is changing. It's steadily changing. But it's a common thing. Disabled people are often not cast to play disabled characters. Autistic people are often not cast to play autistic characters. Cough, cough. Sia, cough. Um, queer people are often not cast to play queer characters. Like, we literally will have cis women playing trans women and straight people playing gay people. Meanwhile, these actual people are not being hired because they're gay, because they're autistic, because they're disabled. It's a problem. Yeah, it is a problem. It, it, it absolutely is. And, and there should be ap- opportunities for every performer. I'm not interested in telling the same heteronormative love story over and over and over again, which is a big reason why I've been out of theater for so long and haven't been pursuing things for so long is because I'm not interested in telling these boring stories, but I also don't have the opportunities to tell the stories that I want to tell. And I feel like I'm not, I don't fit the mold as a plus size performer to be able to play roles that I would want to play. 
you know? I would legit watch a one-man show where you just talked about wanting to fuck Andrew Trudeau, <laughs> if that helped. I mean, I have been thinking about writing a one-man show, so that does kind of help. I mean, I think we're halfway there. This is not a one-man show. <laughs> this is a two-person show. I'll just cut all my bullshit out. <laughs> um, yeah, I understand what you're saying, and I and that is how I feel too, but then the actor in me is like, wait, I don't want to take opportunities away from other actors, but then on the flip side of it, not wanting to take opportunities away from other actors takes opportunities away from marginalized performers. So like it's a whole, it's a whole thing. And it's a really fine line to walk as a performer too. Like what role should I take? What role should I not take? And I'm, I'm trepidatious of that for sure in, in my, my career right now. Yeah, no, and it's definitely complicated. I'm sure you wrestle with it a lot, but just remember that whatever role you don't take will be taken by Scarlett Johansson. (laughs) Yeah. So, that, yeah, it's a terrible lack of representation. But luckily, this guy gets what's coming to him. Phoebe comes home to see Piper flooded with flowers. And there's some for Phoebe, too. And then Phoebe is, like, way over Hans. He is way too into her. And all these guys keep hitting on her. And she ditched Hans at the bar, which is kind of, like, shitty on Phoebe's part, too. It's super shitty. To, like, just bail on him. Like, you did this to him, and now you're, like, not taking responsibility for your actions. Yeah. That's a problem, Phoebes. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is the point at which they kind of learn their lesson about the love spell. Mm-hmm. Piper says this thing about how she knows that the attention she's getting is not real, and that's why she doesn't like it. You know, Phoebe trying to tries to reason with her and be like, maybe your spell just gave them the opportunity to feel those things. And Piper is like, maybe you are a dumb bitch who lies to make yourself feel better about your bad decisions. <laughs> I mean, relatable content. Um, there's this 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 moment is. Like, it's kind of hilarious and also uncomfortable at the same time. And it's when they show that there are all these horny cats outside the window trying to get to Kit. Because Kit was also there for the spell. And so all these cats are after her. It's funny until you think about it too hard. And then it's not funny at all. But the point is, you know, they're realizing they have screwed up. They need to reverse the spell. They're learning their lesson that, first of all, that they've just made a flood of men all interested in them at once. Because they said, I'm the queen and you're the bee. How do queens' bees work? They are surrounded by male bees who worship them. Honestly, I mean, I What did you think was going to happen? Honestly, I would not be mad if that spell turned out this way for me. But also... I get why they try to reverse it. Well, okay, so here's what it is, though. All of the men after them are, like, clearly monogamous because they're all saying, hey, you shouldn't go out with that guy. You should go out with me. If they were a real queen bee, they would be like, I'm actually going to go out with all fucking 42 of you. Now build me a fucking house. Right? I would be like, listen, I am not confined to the parameters of monogamy so yeah now we're just gonna have this like massive polycule yes please and thank you but anywho they decide to reverse the spell because they had a very after school special moment about their actions and are moving on from it but before they can prue calls so prue is very upset about the dream sorcerer showing up in her dream again um that now that it's happened again and they can tell how upset prue is finally piper and phoebe take her seriously so prue asks them to look in the book of shadows for whatever demon quote-unquote is doing this 
and Prue says she's driving home. Um, Phoebe cannot find the dream sorcerer in the book, and she figures out that maybe he's not a demon, he's immortal. I mean, it's kind of a leap, like, just because he's not in the book. Like, the book has, like, a finite number of pages, Phoebe. But you're right, he's immortal. Great exposition. There's also, I mean, there are multiple instances where they encounter things that no other witch in their line has encountered yet that's just not in the book. And I feel like they definitely should add this experience to their Book of Shadows. But to be fair, this is like episode five and they're brand new. And I guess I could flash back to a time in which I thought that if it wasn't in To Ride a Silver Broomstick, then it just didn't fucking exist. (laughs) (laughs) I've actually never read that book, actually. Oh my god, okay, it's actually really good. I I make fun of Silver Ravenwolf a little bit, but that's that's really more a statement about me and the fact that I'm a jerk. Um, but I, I appreciate her writing. I do. Her books were very important to me as a young witch. Prue calls back and says to keep talking so that she can stay awake. Uh, Phoebe is trying to help her stay awake when Hans fucking shows up and wreaks havoc. And we really get to see the repercussions of their spell in this one in the negative way. Like, granted, everything that has happened up until this point with the spell that they cast has been, like, funny and campy. But this is, like, scary, right? And, and this is. is, like, the other end of the spectrum of, like, toxic mac- masculinity when a guy can't handle his emotions, can't process what he's feeling. And granted, he's under a spell, so, like, I give him a little bit of slack. But still, it's scary, it's another, it's actually, it's another example. It's almost an echo of Whitaker. Yeah. Because he is obsessed with Phoebe, which is her fault in this case, but he's obsessed with her. And when he can't have her, he gets violent. Yeah. So that was actually Constance dropping the theme right in fucking front of your face again, just to make sure you got it. I just, this episode makes me love Constance so much more. I appreciate what she did with this show so much more now after analyzing it for the pod. I really yeah, do. Yeah, for sure. And I'm really upset that she left the show. I'm kind of, I'm like minorly upset that I never liked this episode before this. I mean, it's still an uncomfortable episode to watch, but do I like it? Yes. It really helps you yeah. put things into perspective and helps you like start doing the work to know what to undo when you encounter it in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, Piper freezes him and they go back to the phone, but Prue has fallen asleep and she wrecked her car, which by itself is scary enough. And then the fucking it green is. sorcerer this, is back. Like, this episode, like, it spirals out of control in a believable, logical way, which is what makes the climax so intense for me. Like, yeah, Prue is sleep deprived. She's so sleep deprived that she's non-functional because of what this guy is doing to her. And get this, that's another thing that actually happens to women. Like, it's it's real. Yeah. Like, we're talking about actual things that happen here. And she's so sleep deprived and traumatized by what he's doing to her that she wrecks her car. I, f- I feel like that's realistic. It really is. It really is realistic. And it happens at a moment when she is fighting like hell to stay awake because she knows if she falls asleep, she's going to die. And then she gets into a car accident. The scene, the way it ends, when she is slumped over the wheel in her wrecked car, chanting to herself, don't fall asleep, is... It's intense. It's really intense. It's fucking intense. And she gets taken to the hospital and she's still trying to stay awake. And she's like, you can tell that she's afraid. 
right? And that's not something that we see from Prue very often, is that, like, genuine fear, which just shows you how much even the strongest of women can be affected by toxic masculinity. Yeah. Now, I've said in our previous episodes that everything is all about Prue, and I do feel like that is kind of what's happening here. <laughs> you know, I think what's going on with Piper and Phoebe in this episode is important, to be sure. It ties in thematically, absolutely. But the main action is centered around Prue, which is a thing that happens a lot. However, I do think it makes sense for them to have chosen her for this for exactly the reason you just said. She's the strong one. You know, she's the one that everyone else is afraid of. But this guy has reduced her to this horrible, helpless, fearful state. Mm-hmm. Which just adds to how fucking awful he is. Yeah. He's Fuck that guy. Awful. Fuck that guy. Um, she gets taken to the hospital and she becomes unconscious and the dream sorcerer shows up and he says, you really hurt me last night, even though it wasn't a night ago. It was, it wasn't last night at all. It was like just a minute ago. But it, it flows into the theme where like, we don't really know the timeline of this episode. Everything is kind of all over the place. So, well, I do want to call out right now, since you brought it up, charmed has a bit of a problem with time. <laughs> And how they reference it. And in some episodes, it's more obvious than others. But this this is going to be a recurring theme. We know from the previous scene with Andy and Daryl that they have figured out that Whitaker is probably the one doing this, even though they don't have any substantial evidence to how he's doing it. And Andy and Daryl go to the lab to wake up Whitaker and take him in, right? And Andy is banging on these windows to wake this guy up. And I am so attracted to him in this scene. <laughs> He's just like, wake the fuck up! And like, banging on these windows. And I don't know what it was about this, but it just really got me going, seeing him just pound on those windows like that. I think it's because, here's the thing. There is so much toxic masculinity in this episode. And Andy is just being like, a good man. Andy is the breath of fresh air. He's the comparison. He's the the control. Yeah. Factor, I guess. He is just being a really good guy in this episode. And I just love it. I love that we can see these two stark portrayals of what happens with men. I think I think you've you've actually really landed on a good point here, which is that Andy is the foil to Whitaker in this episode. He's the antithesis of everything he is. He is an example of positive masculinity. What a good man can actually be like and it's very very needed in an episode that is dominated by a well dominating prick yeah andy's just being a good man he's being the example of what masculinity is and should be and i just find that very arousing and you are ready to reward I it am. with your bussy i am ready to give him a payment <laughs> Uh, so T.W. King, if you're out there listening and you're not doing anything tonight, (laughs) come over to my apartment, please. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the, the, the climax of the episode, um, the scenes kind of go back and forth a lot, which we've criticized the show for before, but I think it makes sense in this context because it really just adds to the intensity of what's going on. You have Prue and Whitaker squaring off in the dreamscape. You have... Piper and Phoebe um, sitting by their comatose sister and you have Andy trying to, you know, 
remove Whitaker from the dreamscape and save the day. And all these things are happening at once. Yeah. So and Piper, that's why the- Piper and Phoebe have a really good redemption in talking Prue through this attack, right? Like you can beat this guy. You are stronger than him. He is weaker than you. You have the power in the situation. Take it back. And that is the kind of thing you should actually say to people when they come to you and tell you that they're being stalked and harassed. Andy's pounding on the glass like Tyler wishes he would pound on his uh, field. (laughs) And (laughs) in the dreamscape, Whitaker has put Prue in a nice dress. He's carrying her limp body around, making her dance. Oh, I do want to add to this that... The reason that I think the car crash in the hospital is, like, so intense and upsetting for me is because he has emotionally and mentally, like, just reduced her to helplessness throughout the entire episode. And once he gets her into the car crash, she is now physically helpless. And it's just, like, too, it's, like, he is, like, systematically destroying Prue with his ability. Yeah. And his harassment of her. And I know I've said this 16 times in this episode, but this is stuff that real women actually go through. Yeah. And it's fucking wrong. But anyway, I will get, I will briefly step off my soapbox with only one leg. So Piper and Phoebe show up at the hospital looking for Prue. Um, A nurse tells them to wait for a doctor, but as soon as she turns around, they like run off. Because they have no respect for authority. You know, we Andy's knocking on the window some more, saying, wake the hell up. Um, now Piper and Phoebe are in Prue's hospital room. They're talking to her unconscious body, offering her encouragement. Piper is telling her to fight and use her power. And Phoebe is telling her how much she means to them and how they need her to come back. Prue starts to hear their voices in the dreamscape. Whitaker has her on the edge of the building. And she hears Andy and Piper and Phoebe talking to her all at once through the combination of her dreams and Whitaker's dreams. And then she realizes, oh my God, I'm fucking telekinetic. And Whitaker says, it's time to say goodnight. Prue closes her eyes and says goodnight. And she throws his ass off the fucking door. Yes! The- Bye! I am all for throwing sexual predators off of buildings. I am. Whether you use telekinesis or your bare hands, baby, it's okay. Yes. Get rid of that shit. Let's just move toxic masculinity the fuck off a building. Just, like, get it out of here. This kills Whitaker in real life just how he has killed multiple women i'm not usually an eye for an eye kind of person but this guy fucking deserved it um i'm absolutely an eye for an eye kind of person and i have no sympathy for sexual predators who get killed (laughs) me either sorry i don't fucking care (laughs) um prue wakes up and says she fucking killed that guy which is (laughs) you know good for her Love that. I know. And then they're all like, they're, yeah, they're basically just like, oh, good for you. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, in this context, I feel like the Wiccan read didn't apply. <laughs> now we should say, however, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking run this joke through the rest of our podcast. I don't care. This is the first time that Prue kills a human. And I tell you what, it's like she developed a taste for it. Like, <laughs> this was her awakening we saw the warning signs when she almost choked roger to death with her powers by tightening his tie but now she's actually taken a human life and she kind of liked it the next day 
Piper and Phoebe bring all of their flowers to Bruce's hospital room. And they reveal that they reverse their spell and that the guys don't remember anything. And again, Andy, making me horny, shows up with roses and food. The point of the story is that we are soups horny for Inspector Trudeau and sexual predators should be thrown off buildings. That is the statement we were trying to make in this episode. I am horny for Andy Trudeau and we hate sexual predators. So we didn't really get a vanquishing in this episode per se, uh, but there's a segment I want to introduce. Because we are so just into sexual predators getting thrown off of buildings, I want to say that this might be my favorite death so far. Absolutely. And I would like to nominate it for our very first kill of the day. And my favorite kill of the day is some of my respect for Tyler, which died once I realized that he was super into Andy Trudeau. <laughs> I, ex- I accept. I can handle those consequences. Kill of the day. Well, in addition to our favorite deaths, we've also got the boyfriend count up to four. Up to four. With Jack and Hans adding two random boyfriends that we will never see again. Yes. I love 80s porn. All right. And what should we rate this episode, Siren? What did you feel about this episode this time around? What do you rate this one? Um, I would rate this episode 10 out of 10 brutally killed sexual predators. <laughs> Absolutely. I would give this episode a 10 out of 10 for Andy Trudeau banging on plexiglass the way I wish he would bang me. Oh my god. Siren, where can the people find you? (laughs) Okay, I'm Siren Rex Neenan, and if you want, you can follow my Facebook meme page, Siren Spectacular, non-binary meme witch. You can also check me out on Twitter, Siren Spectacular, and finally, you can watch my Coven's YouTube channel, Millennial Incantations. You can follow me on Instagram at Tyler Carson Evans, and you can follow the pod across all social media platforms at WBRCast. If you have a question or something you would like to hear us talk about, feel free to send us an email at whichbereview at gmail.com. And until next time, bye. Bye. Are you a good witch or a bad witch?